This is Noah Kadner, and you're listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. In this special episode, we're talking with filmmakers from the Netflix mystery series 1899. If you haven't checked it out, you should watch it to appreciate the work better. 1899 features several groundbreaking techniques in virtual production and takes the technology into a whole new genre. But as with all great projects, it's all about the talent behind the camera. My name is Nicolas Sommerer. I'm the cinematographer of 1899. When I was about 15 years old, I watched Stanley Kubrick's Shining. And the scene where the camera is following the tricycle was for me the first time that I realized the physical power of a camera. I was hooked into it, but not brave enough to get into this right away. So it needed a long time, about 10 years, until I was brave enough to actually make this step in this enclosed society, what I thought it is. And I worked my way up in the ranks, then I went to film school and here I am. And my name is Udo Kramer. I'm the production designer of the show 1899. I studied fine arts and after finishing fine arts, I moved to Berlin and worked basically as a set designer on international productions. First as a model maker, kind of a classic approach. And also went studying at the film university production design and then bit by bit made my way through German independent and parallel kind of drafting on big shows on Studio Babelsberg and get this kind of parallel education, one very classic traditional and the other one very independent German-based ones. And the last eight years, it starts to merge together so that I can bring together these two experiences. And um, here we are. Because shooting projects in a volume is such a new mode of production, few crews have extensive experience. So the team for 1899 had to take a crash course in virtual production. Before coming to 1899, I knew nothing about LED volumes. I knew using LED panels for cinematography as a lighting instrument or as a backdrop instrument. Of course, I read the articles in an American cinematographer, Emmanuel Lubetsky and Gravity, or Greg Fraser using them on one of the Star Wars films. On Rogue One, we built a kind of a volume around the spaceships, but we didn't have real-time 3D gaming engine yeah. interaction. So I was aware of it. But the specific technology that they used on the Mandalorian, I wasn't aware of it until I've been pointed onto by the director who's saying, okay, so this is the show and I want you to be part of it. And this is the technology we are using. In my case, in the art department, it's common for many, many years <laughs> that we uh, design on digital softwares and create our sets in the 3D environment already. So for me, I was thrilled how it might be possible to get this knowledge kind of on a screen as an in-camera set extension to bring together the traditional knowledge with the most advanced high-tech available today. Although the team pivoted creatively to virtual production, the original plan called for 1899 to be a location shoot spanning much of Europe. We started to pitch the whole idea to Netflix literally as we are still shooting dark. So in my head, I was planning a full set of uh, part-built ship elements kind of combined with the green screen and some exterior shots to get a better realism out of it. As far as I know from conversations that I had with the director slash showrunner, they had the idea to, yes, maybe redecorate a boat or parts of it so that we can actually use it and shoot there on a boat. 
I never heard about the idea that they wanted to re redecorate a ship. I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> but the pandemic came, traveling was not anything that was possible anymore, really. And then Netflix apparently approached them, telling them about the technology. Have you heard about what they did for Mandalorian? Have a closer look at this and see if this is something you think could work for the show and you want to embrace, I guess. Someone at Netflix told us about the volume technology. To be honest, after three seasons of Dark, we were a bit tired of doing it in a very traditional way. Netflix was super helpful from the beginning because they said this might be the future and could be really interesting for your project. The challenge was multifaceted. 1899's script was complex and genre-spanning. It was then compounded by the overall challenges of filmmaking during the pandemic and the team needing to learn entirely new ways to capture scenes. Nobody involved in this project had done anything like this before. So that was the scary part or the intimidating part. You have the traditional understanding of what, for example, a set extension is, a backdrop is, but now have it in a digital form in this set combined with a foreground, something that is parallaxing as well. Lighting the set as well is something completely new. So I think each one of us went more or less back in the room and just like starting <laughs> to researching the hell out of it what was available at the time. And going back through it again and again and had a meeting and exchanging of, you know, this is my idea and my understanding. What do you think? What did you find out? And while we've been doing it, there was always these meetings and sharing ideas how our volume should look like. How are we going to set it up? What dimensions would it have? What would be involved in it? What can we afford? All these things are just like yeah. a constant part in the first few months, actually, you know. The art department was uh, involved in how to set up the volume at all. So the size wasn't given, the shape wasn't given. There was many specs that still needed to be invented to find out how to set it up. And slowly we worked out. We needed like a one-size-fits-all version because of our possibilities. So there are a lot of decisions that we made to set up the volume. We, we didn't want to have like a step in it because we wanted to use fork lips. We needed to have a prefab area where we can prefab the sets to bring them in and out, like a buffer stage. The entrance of this volume needed to be big enough to get sets in and out. We worked on the height because of many reasons. We don't want to overdo it and get kind of extra height that we never see. So we kind of tried to work out all these different parameters. And you can imagine on every different shape that comes up in our mind, you needed to adapt different settings onto it. One thing the team did have was plenty of pre-production time to study workflows and the technology used by The Mandalorian, which served as a proof of concept to emulate. Everything that we could see and observe during the making of videos, all the information that we gathered, and from there on we started questioning things. Does it fit in the studio? Um, does it fit in the budget? I knew that about half of the show was going to be shot in this volume. As a cinematographer, I needed to understand it better. The way our test looked like, we had certain tiny set elements that would later also be used as a whole set, but we only had the set elements of it and just wheeled them into the volume and had the variation of backgrounds in it and been shooting this. But because there were only tiny set elements and not the proper set, 
nothing really made any sense in this regard. You know, you, you can't just really judge it enough. So I felt really underprepared going into this production. I was also intimidated because there was Mandalorian and they did an exceptional job. And then us in Europe, the biggest volume show, I was afraid that we completely failed with the whole thing. Fortunately, we started with the sets on the ship, which I thought at the beginning is actually something that is, should work fairly well, because we have sky, we have sea, and what could go wrong. On the exterior ship, we had in one direction, you see the sea, that's the easy part. If you turn around, you see the ship. And that was a full 3D build that we needed to design prior to it, including the steam that comes out of the funnels and what if. Having it in different light situation, we needed to pre-light a whole ocean liner prior to it because our 3D part of the set needed to align, of course, with the physical build part of it. And that was, for me, like a big chunk of work. And what was easy in one direction, shooting towards the sea, <laughs> was maximum challenging if you turn around to see the ship in the background. But as you said, in the end, I think we had sometimes more trouble with realism of the sea as with the ship, because many reasons of the distance and the scale of the waves, for example, that become something that follows us till the end of the show, while the ship was a piece of cake. <laughs> because the series is set on an ocean liner at sea, the filmmakers needed to show the effects of water. This proved a significant challenge to avoid damaging the sensitive and expensive equipment throughout the volume. Everybody was just thinking, well, there's monitors and there's electricity and there's water and that just doesn't go well. Everybody just said, no, it's not possible, it's not possible. And then actually SFX was sitting with us and they said, well, I think we might have a way to do it. We had a fantastic, super experienced SFX company called the Neftsas and they designed a rain rig for us that could guarantee that there was no spray hitting the screen. It was very well engineered and prepared. So there was no issue with that, as far as I know. And I guess that was also the approach from the whole team during the whole time. You know, when somebody came up with some crazy idea, maybe first people were hesitant, but then later it just grew, it just settled, and then the idea actually was pursued again. And that's how we came up, that the rotating stage, the turntable, was actually the same thing. You have a turntable that is capable of carrying several tons of stage elements in it and team and equipment and has to turn. That's a big, huge thing. And you think in the beginning, well, how should this be possible to do it? But it was actually so early in the production that we just asked the naive question, but what if we want to have a reverse shot or how we change background elements with these things. And to be honest, I think that's the next thing on the future volume stages, there will be turntables. And it was also just a question of time. It's not that we are the brightest of the brightest. It's just like someone asked a question and then just these things coming out. And this is just because the whole technology is in such an early stage that all these milestones are coming one by one. And that's what we're going to see also in the future. Our goal was to create kind of a composite space that you can use as a natural set environment. So that you can go in, you have 360 set, and just work with the actors and shoot whatever you want to shoot. After the break, we'll learn more about the virtual production of 1899. 
This episode of the Virtual Production Podcast is brought to you in part by Silicon Core, pioneers in fine pixel LED display technology for XR and virtual production. Learn more at siliconcore.com. And by Blackmagic Design, one of the world's leading innovators and manufacturers of creative video technology, which also work very well with virtual production. As the restrictions caused by the pandemic for filmmaking began to ease down, the 1899 team considered what might be next for the technology. The software and the hardware is developing so fast, and this kind of composite sets is something that I believe is part of the future. And it's thrilling to be part of it and to work on it and try to develop it. I think it's not so much the question if you like or don't like it. I think Everybody have his own opinion on that, but it's definitely something that won't go away and that will be finessed and developed in a rapid speed in the future. I think so too. It's happening more and more. There are so many benefits from a production point of view. You have everybody in the same room. The hotel is just outside of the studio. So everybody's there. At the end of the day, you just turn the thing on and continue the next day. You have control over everything. You have so many opportunities. There are certainly challenges and not everything is possible at this stage, but the development is just so fast and so rapid and it's getting better by the hour. So I definitely think it's here to stay. One of the key benefits, no pun intended, of LED volume cinematography is avoiding green screen shots for a variety of reasons. There's not one thing that I could think of that is not better <laughs> shooting in a volume than shooting in a green screen. First of all, it's everything around you is green, you know, so after a relatively short time, it does something to you. You get a little bit aggressive, I would say, <laughs> to everybody. The other thing as well, in a volume, you see the background, you see the environment that you're standing in. So that does obviously help enormously the actors to feel themselves within this space. You see the whole landscape in front of you. So you're really looking at the sea. And it looks real. It really looks real. It helps us behind the camera to actually judge really where we want to have actors or elements in relation to the background or the foreground or towards one another. So that's another thing that gives us back control. In a volume, the wall is not only giving you something, a window in the further distant world, but it's also lighting your foreground that is providing light with the same quality with colors and everything to your elements that are in front of the cameras so that's another thing you don't have this in a green screen studio you don't have the reflections you don't have anything light that is wrapping around of objects and with the light quality and color that is actually in the environment so that's a huge huge plus and certainly if you're working towards realism it's an absolute great tool for it. From a designer's perspective, everything you see is the set. That makes the art department process a bit more complex in the beginning, but I think it pays out very well because we get, as creatives, back control in the sense that we can bring in ideas and tweak them and can participate on the process of developing it with the regular crew that brings in ideas and makes changes possible rather than you just thinking of what is green is done later.
Although the film business can be challenging to find an entry point, the team believes that focusing on the work and gaining practical experience is still the best path forward. It used to be that you just work through the ranks. You start as a loader, a second AC, first AC, operator, um, cinematographer. But it's just actually harder now to do it on just like building your career, going through the different stages. I thought about it a long time, what would be the right way for me. I'm more a practical person than a theoretical person. But being in film school opened me a lot of doors because I made a lot of connections. Just because of the guys and girls that you're sitting with in the class, but also you're sitting in a cafeteria and having lunch with someone who's sitting accidentally on the same table, but later on this very person might actually ask you for a favor, leads to a job, and then many, many years later is a producer who's actually asking for your service. So I think the film school is a very, very good place to make connections other than also trying things. In film school, you have the ability to just like try certain things out. Later on, people expect you to know certain things. <laughs> There's not so much trying anymore. So this is all stuff that is very important in the beginning just to play around a lot, beat people and cut your teeth, I guess. <laughs> Film school is, as Nick said, definitely a place where you will meet partners in crime. But what I did and what I would recommend is get as much practice as you can get. And my way was that I always try to be part of bigger productions to get a better sense of the scope and how to organize art departments that are bigger than a classic art house shoot. And on film schools, you normally have like these mini shows where you're just like doing it all in one person. Maybe you have an assistant and that is a little bit like that, but it's got nothing to do if you want to get a sense of how to organize a team that is more than 50 people working together. Also, you want to get in contact with the latest technology. And I think one way to do is to hire on a big production as a model maker and then work your way up as a draftsperson and while drafting, making the models, you get a sense of how things work. I also um, did a lot of commercial shootings because these things allows you to get in contact with high tech in an earlier stage, like motion control systems and what if. And in this combination, you just need to practice to get a feeling of how things are put together. With the production of 1899 successfully under its belt, the team is considering how virtual production will continue to evolve. The light quality will get better, the amount of light will be increased, the detail will be increased, the hardware, software power will be developed so that you have more possibilities to change things on the set. The geometry could be more complex. Beside all of these things, ideally, the whole volume becomes a tool that you can walk in and concentrate on actors and on the things you want to do. And it shouldn't be like a technical uh, monster that is hard to handle and that probably is annoying you more than it helps you. I think when it's ready developed, it should be like a virtual deck where you can go in and shoot. Thinking in, in terms of foreground and background is actually the wrong approach. It's a space that you walk into and that you'll be freely working it. Yeah. And I think that's also a different approach that we had to many other volume shows. This was a certain persistency coming from the director that he wanted to be freely within this space and working around. So that was our idea anyway, just for me to make this as 
seamless looking and as naturalistic looking as possible for Udo to build this you know that there's just no differentiation or interchanging between something that is in the foreground and something that is just like merging into the background but to approaching this scene just like a normal location scene would be was a huge difference to many of the other shows who have actually a previous and then they're just shooting the previous or having a very very defined storyboard and they're just really shooting the storyboard so we've been much more in you know developing it after a rehearsal then we would actually do some staging what is if you think about it really crazy to do it this way but that was the way we did it and that's i think is very liberating also for other filmmakers that have the same way of working they do you know they want to have the work and they maybe stand away from the volume because it's too technical for them and they can't just really express themselves enough as they would on a location the team also sees an important distinction between the various skill sets on an led volume in the last years, I sometimes got the impression that the set is divided into the tech guys and the traditionalists. And in this case, we need to bring these skills back together. You can't design or film in a VP set without having a very good knowledge of lenses and light in a very traditional physical way. Because you can't trick light or physics. It will always look wrong. Same on the production designer's part. You need to have a very strong foundation of classic knowledge of physics, optics and light as well as set design to be able to design a space that you can break down in different components. You know, you have like the old stage painters, the stage painting um, surfaces, how they build up a good surface is crucial for Nick, how it hits the light, for example. Like if you have like a glossy surface, light hits on it and you have a certain reflection on it that gives you the texture that makes a good movie looking good. And you need to simulate this technique in a digital world. And we had the experience that it was very beneficial for the digital artist to go to the paint shop and see how the painters manually put on the lacquer and the gloss on a veneer to see how that works and how it really feels to have it in your hand, just reproducing and reproducing a digital world that looks a little bit gamey always because they never have the real McCoy in their hands. And they really enjoyed it. They like to hang out in the workshops and see it and vice versa. Then I, we asked the paint guys to put on the Oculus stuff to see how the digital copy of their work looks and give advice in both directions. And it was uh, very cooperative and uh, fun in the end, I have to say. It's a good point, actually, to see the different parts now have different responsibilities. And I remember reading that Roger Deakins, I think it was in Wally, -E, he also get the computer guys and get outside and just look at how light is hitting objects and what's happening. And again, it's just like you might be us, as well as the guys behind the screens, creating something there. We might be too focused in just looking at our own little aspect of it. And yeah, that's also a good thing just to bring these parts together and interwave them in a better form and just communicate.
you've been listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. Special thanks to my guests, Nicolas Sommer and Udo Kramer from the Netflix series 1899 for joining us. This episode was written and hosted by me, Noah Kadner. This episode was edited and mixed by Corey Abel. The Virtual Production Podcast is a co-production of The Virtual Company and Abel Cine. We love virtual production and would also love to work with you. So please visit our websites and drop us a line if we can help. You can find us at ablecine.com and thevirtual.co. The Virtual Production Podcast is brought to you in part by Puget Systems, an integrator specializing in high-end desktop systems, perfectly suited to virtual production. Please visit them at pugetsystems.com. The Virtual Production Podcast is also brought to you in part by Row Visual, setting the gold standard in LED technologies for virtual production. Learn more at rowvisual.com. Please also let us know if there's a subject or guest you want us to have on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please consider giving us a five-star review, subscribing, and telling all your friends about us. Thanks again, and see you next time.